Welcome back to Bill and Bob's Bracket Busting Breakdown. I'm Bob. I'm here with Bill. Hey, what's going on, Bob? I thought it was a bonanza, but if it's not, that's okay, too. Uh, you know, I think I think the Borskin version was bonanza. and I think Oh, okay, we, great. And then when we did brackets, we made it bracket breakdown. I don't uh, know why when we started doing this, we, we decided to make it uh, a tongue, tongue twisters. Twister. Yep. But nevertheless and excited excited to get to the final region the midwest yeah and i think the three earlier regions i think i said bonanza in all three and then when i was putting in the names i was like huh i think it's breakdown and i've been saying bonanza for three podcasts so moving forward we're going to try and make sure that i say breakdown breakdown we're so we're so focused on the on the games themselves we don't even know the name of the podcast it's tough enough just trying to keep track of all these teams and players more than anything else. Yeah. Um, all right. This is the Midwest region. Uh, as all of the regions this year, we are back in Indianapolis. Uh, I hear it's a nice city. Never been there before. Um, let's start right on top. Uh, we have Illinois out of the Big Ten champions. They will take on Drexel. And in the lower part of that pod, we have... Uh, former darlings of the tournament, uh, not going to sneak up on anybody this year, Loyola Chicago, and they will take on Georgia Tech. Uh, yeah, that's going to be a really good matchup. And by that, I mean the Loyola-Georgia Tech game. Um, I think we, we both are sort of in agreement. Um, Illinois is a legitimate number one team. We both picked them to win the Big Ten uh, tournament. They won the Big Ten tournament. They really finished stronger than anybody else in that in that uh, particular conference, uh, and I think you could make a good argument that that puts them in a in a position to be really the number two or three um, team going into the tournament. Uh, whether you want to include Baylor as the number two coming off a close loss, it, I'm fine with that. But Illinois has really uh, cemented themselves as a top tier team. Uh, yes, hundred percent. And I think what we saw more out of them. Um, in the Big Ten tournament was uh, their sixth, the Big Ten sixth man of the year, Corbello, is really kind of coming into his own uh, ball in his hands in both uh, at the end of the game and in, in the fourth, uh, in overtime. Um, so, yeah, uh, Illinois seems to be getting more and more dangerous. Yeah, and um, as we progress in the tournament, we mentioned this last week, but as you progress further in the tournament, and especially nowadays because of the one-and-dones and everything else, uh it's a guard tournament, and if you can find yourself an upperclassman guard, a junior or senior, who's a top player in the country, like Illinois seems to have right now, that really bodes well for teams in the tournament. It's a, it's, it's not a mandatory thing, but it's, um, it's certainly something that if you look at the correlation between the, the teams that advance to let's say at least the elite eight, and the type of guards that comprise their um, backcourts, you find usually that you've got top tier upperclassmen guards in the NCAA tournament on these teams. For sure. Uh, their opponent, Drexel, obviously, we both think that they're going to probably uh, win this one running away. I'll, I'll go so far as to say I don't even think probably. I won't even put, I won't even put the probably on it. I think Illinois is going to win this game. Yeah. Uh, well, Drexel, um, only only 19 games, one of the lesser uh, played teams in this lesser lesser amount of games played uh, of 
of of the teams in the tournament. Obviously, on the back end, uh, the uh, CAA champion. And then, uh, yeah, let's get to the other game, which is um, far more entertaining. Uh, Loyola Chicago. <laughs> Uh, Sister Jean, I'm told, will not be there, and they are taking on Georgia. Have they have they made that have they made that decision official? Because as of yesterday, I read that Sister Jean was seeking permission to actually go to the tournament as the chaplain. Uh, why don't you give a little there bit was of, a, of breakdown? There was an article um, yesterday that I saw where Sister Jean might be going to the NCAA tournament. I'm looking it up now. So if you give your sentiments on the game, I will. Okay. I will. All right. Well, we'll leave Sister Jean alone then for a second. Um, I like Loyola Chicago in this game, and it's really not a knock on Georgia Tech. I, Georgia Tech, I think, is an excellent team too, and I think the winner of this game will give Illinois a very, very, very tough matchup in the second round. I, I still expect Illinois to get to the Sweet 16, but um, a Loyola Chicago or Georgia Tech upset wouldn't surprise me. I'm picking Loyola Chicago in this game because I think they have um, – the advantage in in having a little bit more experience they've been there in the last tournament they uh um nobody's there again they're not sneaking up on anyone uh loyola chicago also has one of the most unsung and best big men in the entire tournament in uh, cameron krutwig leading the team in points and rebounds assists um 15 and 7 with three assists a game everything in their offense runs through him uh, Lucas Williamson is a nice addition as a, a second guard. Pretty good score. They've got um, they've got three guys who are three guards in their lineup who can shoot the three very well. Who uh, start for them? Keith Clemens, Braden Norris, and Lucas Williamson, as I just said. And surprisingly, the Loyola Chicago Ramblers have some size. A lot of these mid-major teams that may, might not necessarily have the size. They have skilled big men and and um, good size up front. So I, I like – it's a very well-rounded team. Again, three guys who are, who are very capable of making threes in, in uh, large quantities. Good free-throw shooting team. They kind of check all the boxes for you for that mid-major team. And there's a reason as a mid-major they're um, eighth in the country – or they're, they're an eight seed uh, as opposed to a lot of the other ones we see who are 11s, 12s, and 13s. I agree. Uh, Loyola Chicago, obviously, they're interesting dynamic because they, like you said, Krutwig uh, for a mid-major player is um, a very, very dangerous player in this tournament, and um, they are uh, far underseeded at an eight seed here. Um, just a real tough spot, I thought, for them. Uh, Georgia Tech, on the other hand, um, Jose Alvarado, their lead guard, uh, senior guy, one of the top, actually, the second. Uh, second highest minutes played. I think he plays 37 minutes a game for them. Uh, second highest. And minutes. he was huge for them in the ACC tournament. Yes. And he played, he is, he was every bit uh, as advertised. He was that good. Um, Georgia tech is, has had a phenomenal end to the season. No one picked them to go anywhere this year, um, which is why they're a nice little story because they really put it together in the last 10 games um, won the tournament and got themselves got themselves the automatic bid, but they had a bunch of games that got postponed and uh, canceled earlier in the season. Started off with a couple losses to mid majors, Georgia State and Mercer. 
uh, before they came in and beat Kentucky, and that really started to, to turn things around for them. But they are also a very good team. Are, they, as I said, either one of these two teams can match up with uh, or can play against Illinois. I, I like Loyola Chicago a little bit more in this game, but uh, Alvarado checks all the boxes for me again because he's he's the senior guard. Was he the ACC player of the year this year? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I think if he was not, he's he's either um, a co-ACC player of the year or is right there. But I thought he was – he's definitely first-team All-ACC. He's a phenomenal player. Uh, quick as hell, gets you a lot of steals, and and helps Georgia Tech be capable of moving – of complete of taking uh, one possession and getting a score on the other end. They get quick turnovers and, and buckets. And you saw it uh, uh, in the ACC tournament a bunch – um, good coach in, in uh, Josh Pastner. We knew him from uh, his Memphis days. Yep. Um, and a, just a very solid team. This is going to be a great game to watch. Good matchup. Um, against Illinois, I think Georgia Tech probably has a little bit a little bit tougher time because I think Loyola Chicago can at least throw um, a big man at, at Illinois in whereas Georgia Tech's a little bit weaker up front. Just a, a few more notes on this game. We have actually the ACC Player of the Year was Moses Wright, um, Moses also, Wright. On, also on Georgia Tech. Um, he got 10 votes for Player of the Year, uh, 18 points a game, eight, eight, uh, eight and a half reba- uh, 8.1 rebounds. Um, when it went to uh, during their winning streak, they had a six-game winning streak that obviously clinched uh, them finishing in the top four of the ACC. Uh, during that stretch, he averaged 23.5 points and 10 rebounds while shooting 65.65 and uh, a half from the field. Um, Sister Jean update was as of 22 hours ago yesterday, um, the hashtag free Sister Jean started. Um, I don't want to say trending because I'm not even sure what trending is anymore. Um, but it, she was told due to the limitations of the travel party that she was not going to be attending. Um, even though she's fully vaccinated, she's tested negative 30 separate occasions. So, um, you know, obviously this is somebody who really likes getting tested. So good for her. Um, I think we need a sister Jean Cam if she's not going to be. Well, and then I, I went to Twitter because that's where the news is most up to date. Um, as of 15 minutes ago, I saw a quote and it's from Dan Gavitt. He says they are, the NCAA is working with Loyola to accommodate Sister Jean coming to Indianapolis. That would be fantastic for Loyola, Sister Jean, and the tournament to have her here. Yeah, real shot in the arm. Agreed. Um, that would be her third vaccine if she was um, if she's trying to accumulate vaccines, um, just like she's trying to accumulate those tests. So um, good luck to Georgia Tech if Sister Jean is in the house. Yes. Uh, the next pod below it, we have uh, Tennessee against Oregon State. And Oklahoma State against Liberty. Yeah, so um, th- th- I should have probably said it before, but I actually I really really like this um, region. There's there's a lot of intrigue and there's a lot of teams I could see um, on both the top and the bottom of this region, going all the way to the Elite Eight or even to the Final Four. Um, one of those teams is Oklahoma State. I was very impressed with the way they played in the. Um, in the Big 12 tournament, uh, I mean, how could you not be? They lost that that real real close game, but um, but you, you can't you can't kill them for losing to Baylor. It was uh, 
that they they played real well. They were up right near the end of the game. Excellent freshman in Cade Cunningham. Um, Liberty is a tough, challenging team to play, but I like Oklahoma State in that game. Uh, the Tennessee-Oregon State game, um, it's not really a uh, an endorsement of Tennessee, but I'm taking Tennessee here because I, I don't really uh, believe that much in the Pac-12. So Oregon State doesn't uh, check enough boxes for me to – from a uh, numbers perspective, uh, th- not a, an unbelievable three-point shooting team, uh, and don't, don't defend quite as well. And I think Tennessee just has the superior players, so I'm going to take Tennessee. And then I think Oklahoma State beats Tennessee to get to the Sweet 16. Oregon State, uh, just to stay on that game, um, they're the lowest uh, Ken Palm ranked team of any of the. Um, you know, if you put Pac-10 as a, as a major conference. Um, or Pac-12 rather, uh, they're the lowest ranked major conference team in the tournament coming in at 85 uh, on Ken Palm, uh, right between 84 Colgate and 86 Abilene Christian. So it says um, a lot about Oregon State right there is that they're just nothing metrics wise jumps off the page, uh, both offensively and defensively. Now, do I think that's I'm not a believer in Rick Barnes at this point. I had said it. Uh, previously, I just feel like that there's no um, st- like step-up guy late in games for Tennessee. Um, they had um, – I'm going to blank on it again. They had LS- – was it LSU on the ropes? No, no. They had Alabama on the Al- ropes. Alabama on the ropes and couldn't close the game out. Rick Barnes, I think I saw the stat. He has 24-24 and 24 in the NCAA tournament, so just – you know, as far as coaching wise, he is not necessarily anybody. Twenty four and twenty four with for Rick Barnes's flaws as an in game coach, he's a phenomenal recruiter. You talk about a guy who had Kevin Durant and other oh, people yeah. and couldn't get past the Sweet Sixteen. Um, so, and on the other side of it, I, I am I'm a believer in Oklahoma State. Um, Liberty, I thought was a tough draw for Oklahoma State. I think they're far underseated at a four. I thought they possibly could have been. Um, made a strong argument to be on the three line, especially if yeah. Had... Well, it's, I'm just it's not an sure. interesting thing that you say that because in the bottom half of this bracket is the West Virginia team um, that they played and they they beat recently. Yes, that got that three seed. So it's basically between the two of them for who's going to get the four, who's going to get the three, um, and, and unfortunately Oklahoma State got the four. Exactly. Um, so yeah, out of this pod, I do like Oklahoma state to advance Cade Cunningham, um, is now I'd say on, if he wasn't on people's radar, he is on everyone's radar. Um, Oklahoma state doesn't necessarily have that second score, but it doesn't necessarily matter. Uh, Cunningham just does such a good job of carrying the team himself, but also does such a good job of getting everybody else involved, even though they don't have, um, you know, like that real second score on a consistent basis he gets guys involved to get somebody going in most games yeah and i like these big 12 big 10 teams that are battle tested yes um you know i I think that that'll be that'll come to uh to help them quite a bit bottom half of the midwest region we have the six seed uh san diego state going against the number 11 Syracuse and the number three seed um, aforementioned West Virginia going against 14. um, The school that most people in the early aughts had hats for Moorhead State. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Moorhead State, by the way, before I get into the, uh, 
the Syracuse game, I'll just quickly say, uh, Moorhead State, the only team from the state of Kentucky represented in the NCAA tournament. That's actually a crazy yes, stat. There you go. So Louisville and Kentucky not in the NCAA tournament. Moorhead State, though, is Louisville. the number one team in Kentucky as of today. Worth noting, we are recording on Tuesday. Louisville still has a chance to come in. Uh, we have Kansas and Virginia uh, quarantining, and they have, I think, until the end of the day today to, to like, I guess, knock themselves yeah. out of the tournament. Um, all right, so uh, the 6-11 matchup. This is a classic 6-11 game. Usually you would see it flipped around. Syracuse would be the 6. San Diego State would be the 11. Agreed. But um, but either way, it's it's a, it, it has the makings of a very good game. Um I'm going to go for the upset here and pick Syracuse just because I think they provide uh, such a very strange look for teams like that have never played Syracuse or have not played Syracuse type teams in a very long time. That two, three zone is, it just is, it boggles the minds of a lot of different teams. San Diego state's got a good team. Matt Mitchell is an excellent player. Is uh, their forward 15 and, and uh, six and San Diego State does have uh, three guys who can shoot the three. Jordan Shackle will be a guy to watch. If San Diego State wins this game, I think Jordan Shackle will have a big game. Uh, he shot at 47% from the three this year. Um, but my issue is oftentimes what happens with Syracuse is you think you're a three-point shooting team, so you can go against the 2-3 zone and you'll just make threes and you'll be good to go. But the problem is they extend the 2-3 zone out an extra two to three feet. So what ends up happening is teams start falling in love with the three, but it's not the three they're used to taking. It's a three that's 23 feet instead of 20 point. Uh, one feet or whatever the I think it's 19.9 whatever the actual distance is they end up taking that three three or four steps back that toward the end of games those shots start hitting the front rims we've seen it happen with Syracuse in the tournament so many times so even though the team a team like Sir, uh, San Diego State has three-point shooters and very good three-point shooters at that. Even Matt Mitchell can shoot the three. He's, he's at 36% from three. Um, and San Diego State is a very good team, a dangerous team. Um, I still will take Syracuse in this game because I think San Diego State uh, is going to be liable for falling in love with, the, um, with an overextended three-point shot. Yeah, Syracuse, one of those teams, like you mentioned, that zone, it almost defies metrics a little bit um, because they won't necessarily be a highly ranked defensive team, but then they get into like spots in the tournament, and like you had already uh, touched on, teams just aren't used to seeing it. It stretches, and then teams start to bomb from a little bit further, and it doesn't always work. Um, yeah, that seems to be the thing because it's like it, it's teams in their conferences. You kind of know how to attack the zone and they don't make the same mistakes. They don't get sort of uh, lulled into the traps that Syracuse gets teams to, to do and, and start to play the way that Syracuse wants you to play. But teams that don't play them that often, you know, you hit a few wide open threes in the first half and you think, okay, I'm going to fall in love. And they, and guys fall in love with the three. And then come the second half, those 23 footers start hitting the front rim. Yeah. Um, and and San Diego State, you already said it. They have uh, three guys who actually sh shoot it over thirty five percent. Mitchell being the Mitchell being their leading scorer, who shoots it at thirty six. They have two guys at forty six and forty one percent from three point range, respectively. So they can shoot it. Um, but then on the other end of it, Syracuse. Um, 
this is not your necessarily typical Syracuse team. They've actually they're scoring the ball a little bit better than they have over the past few seasons. Uh, Buddy Beheim, uh, Jim's son. Um, I yeah, very interesting guy. Glad you brought him up. Uh, and then you have Alan Griffin, who um, is I believe Adrian Griffin's son uh, from Seton Hall. Uh, former NBA player as well. And then um, Adrian Griffin from the 1989 uh, almost champion Seton was Hall Griffin team. Griffin on that team? I think he was a freshman on that team. That was Jerry Walker. Uh, Terry, no, was Jerry Walker was on that team? Was Terry DeHair on that team? Terry DeHair was um, the. I 90- think Adrian Griffin was on that team. Basically, uh, John Morton was the the big player on that team. Uh, Griffin could have been a freshman, and I I could be. Um, but was uh, was my boy Carnishavis on that team, number fifty five? No, he was on the t- he was on the teams that was um, like shortly thereafter, just after right, that. 90, yeah, the yeah, 90, the early nineties with Danny Hurley, ninety one, ninety two team. Yeah, which was um, also another team that um, did fairly well for the Hall. Um, yeah, but then they, yeah, Syracuse does have some, not a ton of size uh, compared to years in the past, but uh, Dolage, uh 6'10", guy who could shoot it from the outside as well. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. Dolage does not shoot it from the outside, but Dolage, a guy who, um, yeah, can definitely score in a variety of ways at at five t- at 6'10", uh, to go along with Bayheim and Griffin. So um, th- rankings-wise, Syracuse actually ranks as a higher offensive team than they do defensively. But like, like you said, defensively, they're just kind of a different ball game when they get in the tournament. And when you least expect them to do things is when they've done things lately. Yeah. I mean, they have to be happy to not be in the playing game where they seem to have been perpetually the past few seasons. Well, and, and I feel like the, the, your, your, what you said is exactly right. It's like the years that Syracuse has, uh, the, the years that I've left, Selection Sunday being like, I can't believe friggin' Syracuse got in the tournament again. They're going to – they stink. And it's like, boom, they're in the Elite Eight. Or they they make the Sweet 16 because that quirky defense really does give people problems. Yeah. I, I think back of the um, the time when they actually um, – it was when Villanova won their first championship. So I guess it was 2016 maybe um, when Syracuse I, – I think they were in the play-in game. Um, and they were an 11 seed and made it all the way to the final four. Hmm. And they had knocked off, um, I believe it was a Gonzaga team in the elite eight. Um, similar to what you said, you, you get a team that start, they think they're a three point shooting team and then you stretch them a little bit and now they're shooting from a lot further than they're used to. Um, game below it, we have, uh, West Virginia against Marhead state. Um, West Virginia, both team, a team that we had mentioned previously on, um, one of the earlier pods before the t- the the tournament one, where they're they seem to really be coming into their own. Um, although they did lose two straight games at the end of the season to both Oklahoma State to end the regular season, then Oklahoma State again to get bounced from the Big Twelve tournament. Um, that Oklahoma State game they lost was down to the wire, yes. back and forth. They actually they actually missed a. Uh, it was they were down three points because they missed uh, an easy shot um, down one with like seven or, or with like twenty seconds to go. Got the ball. The guy made two free throws. Got the ball back with down three. Missed the three with five seconds to go. Ball gets kicked back out. They get another shot at it. The guy on the team who gets it, uh, I think it was Sean McNeil. I'm not sure exactly who it was, but I think it was Sean McNeil. Gets it. Throws a pump fake and gets the three off. 
a second after because he threw the the unnecessary pump fake gets the three off a second after goes in would have tied the game but lo and behold they end up losing that game but that was a really close nail biting you know back and forth kind of game i i don't put any negative uh stock into west virginia losing two games to end the season no and um I, I had mentioned this, I think, earlier. They, they seem to kind of turn their season um, for the better when they started playing four guards around Derek Culver. We're used to the, the phrase um, that people kind of fall in love with at tournament time, press Virginia. Now, they are a good defensive team, but they're not their typical defensive team currently uh, in the 60s defensively, but they're very highly thought of offensively 11th in the country in Kempom on the offensive end. Uh, Derek Culver, their big man in the middle, and then a couple guys who can shoot it well from the outside, McBride, Sherman, and McNeil, like you just uh, mentioned. So this is yeah. this is a team that can go deep, they can get out of this region, and they have a big man um, who we had, like we said, we this year seems to be where these really good schools have a dominant big man, and Derek Culver can match up with the best of them. Yes, Derek Culver is an excellent player. Miles McBride actually leads the team in scoring, but um, and as a guard, they, like you said, they have uh, a really nice group of guys that they put around Culver, who's really the centerpiece to their offense. Um, now Culver is averaging only about twenty six to twenty seven minutes a game yes. because. The, he is a risk to get in foul trouble quite a bit. He, he he does tend to overcommit a little bit. So he can get himself into unnecessary foul trouble. And if you're going to beat West Virginia, um, I think really if anybody in this bottom half is going to beat West Virginia, that's how it's going to be done. They're going to get Culver into foul trouble. West Virginia is still a good um, rebounding team, though. They can come back in. Um, Oscar Tashibui and uh, is, is averaging eight rebounds a game in addition to Culver averaging 10 rebounds a game. Uh, West Virginia is one of the better rebounding teams in the country, um, and they have a great point guard in Miles McBride, five assists to, and 15 points, 40% from three. Three guards who can shoot the three, and another just we'll see if it, it ends up mattering, but something I notice and, I, and I've always taken into account ever since I started watching um, – the Villanova in the early 2000s used to throw out a four-guard lineup with um, Alan Ray and Kyle Lowry and, and played, uh, the other guys. Played it around. Yeah. Played it around to Jason Frazier. Yeah, played it. Played around a big guy. And um, the advantage that Villanova had was late in games. If they had a lead, they were keeping the lead because they they had all these guards on the floor to handle the ball, so they weren't going to turn it over. And they had four guys who can make free throws. Mike Nardi was another one of those guys. Um, four guys who can make free throws, shooting above 80%. And if you look at West Virginia, they have three guys. Miles McBride, 82%. Taz Sherman, 87%. And Sean McNeil, 88.5% free throw shooters. So you, if you are um, down to West Virginia late in a game, you and it becomes a free throw shooting contest. It's going to be very difficult for them to beat you, or for for you to beat them rather. Yeah, I, I agree. They're definitely in that regard with the, so many ball handlers around Culver. If Culver stays out of foul trouble, they're going to be a very tough out in this tournament. Uh, bottom half, we have number seven Clemson going against number ten Rutgers. Similar, like we had mentioned on one of the other pods about big conference teams matching up constantly in the in the round of 64. So we have it here: ACC against Big Ten. Uh, 
I hate these garbage seven ten games. <laughs> and then I really do. I tell you, like I, I looked as I'm looking down the schedules, like what's the one game I really freaking hate, and it's the seven ten game. And then I, like I just, I, I'm very bored by by mediocre big conference teams. I suppose. And, and I suppose that's what these two teams are at sixteen and seven. Clemson and Rutgers at fifteen and eleven. Uh, at the bottom of it, it's actually a small-time school, uh, basketball-wise. Small conference school, Houston, getting a two-seed out of the um, conference. U- American. Uh, the American, yes, sorry. I was about to say Conference USA. And they will take on number 15, Cleveland State. Yeah, um, I, I like uh, Houston. I've liked Houston the entire season. Um, I think that they're a very, very good team. I watched them play against Memphis, and they were able to handle Memphis through a crazy press at the mall game. They were able to handle that press. Excellent guard in Quentin Grimes. Um, and uh, Justin Gorham, uh, one of their forwards, is averaging nine rebounds a game. They're a good defensive team. Um, I, I really do think that they have uh, – They have the. I think they're a, they're a top ten rebounding team in the country as well. Offensively, they have guys who can score, but they're not really a um, – they're, they're, the numbers don't reflect them being a phenomenal offensive team. They are an excellent rebounding team, though, and I think that that matters. If they get matched up with West Virginia, which is what I expect in the Sweet 16, that is going to be a an absolute slobber knocker of a physical game. Uh, those two teams are matched up really, really well with each other. Very similar um, styles of play. Yeah, it, just to to go to, uh, to stay on Houston, they they're actually the pro the the game that could be the game where the difference is Gorham, who's only six seven, going against the six ten Culver. If Gorham could get some fouls on on Culver, they could be in they could be in trouble. But on the opposite end, uh, Houston doesn't have a ton of size beyond Gorham um, and. Obviously, if Culver gets him out in the game early, you're going deeper into that Houston bench. Uh, Houston, definitely more of a guard-dominant uh, team as well. Um, just a quick touch on Rutgers and Clemson, two boring teams, as you've said. But um, I'd say don't rule out Rutgers here for a win. Uh, they had an early season win against Illinois when they seemed, they seemed to be at their best early in the season before Pac-10 um, Pac-10, oh, sorry, Big Ten play really got rolling. Um, they beat uh, Illinois ninety-one to eighty-eight, uh, and then, you really just want the Pac-10 to to be back. It's the Pac-12 now. Yeah, I know, I know. There's too yeah. many. Istanbul, Istanbul is Constantinople. It'll always be Constantinople <laughs> to me. Same. The Pac-12 will always be the Pac-10. But worth mentioning here with um, with Rutgers is actually uh, big man Miles Johnson is a guy is a shot blocker in the middle who could be the difference maker um, against against a lot of if if they if they move on in the tournament um, because they have somebody who can change the game we've seen so many times where if if a team has a shot blocker Seton Hall last year in particular although there was no tournament had Romero Gill but a lot of times when you're going into the middle and you see a guy with 6'11 who is known for um, you know blocking shots you're it turns you away, alters your shots, all these different things and changes your game. They also have Ron Harper Jr. and Geo Baker, two guys who can uh, fill it up in their own right. So Rutgers could potentially be a dangerous team, um, but they do have to get by number seven, uh, Clemson, first. All right, uh, the Midwest region, we'll put a nice little bow on it to finish it out. Um, I know I I prefer the actually the top half of this bracket to be the team to get somebody to the Final Four, whether it be Illinois or against um, Illinois or Oklahoma State. I think the bottom half, um, 
I, I, I think Houston and West Virginia do have their, their chances, but um, I think Illinois right now is just playing too good of basketball, and Oklahoma State, I think, has the um, one of the stars of this region and Cade Cunningham to go along with uh, Dusimono and um, uh, Kofi uh, Koiburn out of Illinois. Yeah, I, um, I'm actually going to say I think this, is, this will be the region where you're going to see the, uh, a little bit of an upset. Uh, I'm expecting a nice run from West Virginia. As long as they can get by uh, Syracuse in the second round, looking at the way things shape out for them, I could see them easily getting to the Elite Eight, beating Houston in the Sweet 16, and then they are a very difficult matchup for Illinois. They're a difficult matchup for anybody. And the thing we've said it a bunch of times about West Virginia is they are not afraid of any other team in the country. They will go toe-to-toe with whoever they are playing. Even if it was Gonzaga earlier in the year, they gave Gonzaga a great game. Um, West Virginia is a, is a dangerous, dangerous team. Um and I think Hoggins will have his guys ready, and uh, I'm expecting them to make it to at least the Elite Eight, and I like them to upset uh, either Illinois or Okie State in uh, the Elite Eight. Um, yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think Houston at some point, I think, is just their guard, um, their lack of um, a front court depth, I think, is actually going to be what uh, ultimately knocks them off in this region. Yeah, like Houston is one of those teams I don't see going um, terribly far, even though I like them just because of the way that their draw was. Uh, I think West Virginia is a really bad matchup for Houston, uh, unfortunately. But uh, on that note, we're looking at uh, some teams that maybe win in the first round but don't go far in the tournament. Reminds me of uh, your favorite part of March Madness, I would have to guess. Uh, the suicide pools, the um, the elimination pools, which just to give people a quick rundown are um, you pick the first two days of, of the tournament, the round of 64, you pick two teams each. Once you pick a team, you cannot use that team again. You pick two teams each of the first two days. And then for the next uh, every other day of the tournament, you pick one team. Again, once you pick that team, you cannot use them again until you get to the very end, and if you run out of teams, you're eliminated, or if your team loses, you're eliminated. Um, so wanted to ask you real quick, maybe you could go through, give me a, a team in the West, East, South, and uh, Midwest that you would avoid taking early on. Where do you see an upset coming that knocks everyone out of the suicide pools? Yeah, so these, these pools, um, I typically, although I did the one year I won it, um, I won it with only a single entry, um, which actually makes it more impressive. Um, it was the year that actually I had mentioned just a, a, a few minutes ago where Syracuse uh, made it into the Final Four. Had Syracuse gone out of the Final Four, I would have won it clean by myself. Um, when they went in the Final Four, they went, they brought 10 people who, were, who had no business surviving. Uh, they just had no teams left and had to pick Syracuse in that game. But anyway, um, yeah, the, one of the keys I always is, like you said, you want to take a team who you don't think is going to go beyond, um, say, a second-round matchup, and you want to try and hold on to those lower seeds. Um, I always have one um, just a kind of uh, inside, the, um, inside the ropes here. Um, I always have one of my entries play it safe, where I, I play 
um, typically low number seeds, ones, twos, and threes early on, and then just kind of wait for everybody else to knock themselves out. Um, I'm going to start on the right side of the the chaos. The chaos. Yeah, uh, one. it's it's called Survivor for a reason. Um, yeah, you're hoping for thirty round of thirty two chaos. And, and I like to just pride myself on potentially knowing some of these teams better than somebody else. So if it gets into a Sweet Sixteen matchup, um, you know you could pick and choose your spots based off of you might you might take a team that's say an eleven seed like Syracuse to knock off somebody else because it's just a matchup issue. You don't necessarily play it strictly by playing low number teams. But um, anyway, so I'm going to start on the right side of this bracket only because those are the Friday games. Um, South region, which is the Baylor region. Um, Baylor is obviously a team that I'm looking to hold on to. um, But two of the games that I have kind of that I'm eyeing up um, that are troublesome. um, I like Villanova to go by um, Winthrop. But they're, I, I don't like them to go ultimately very far here. Um, I just think that their their guard depth will hurt them. Um, I think a lot of it is just going to rest on Jay Wright's coaching ability. And unfortunately with Villanova, although they have two of those championships in recent years, um, they just, they're a team that typically goes out. They have gone out early in every all those, all those other years. So a team that I'm not necessarily looking to hold on to. So I might play Nova over Winthrop and then just kind of hope that they bow at afterwards. Um, I don't like Purdue at all, so I'm staying away from that one. And although I like them, um, Texas Tech is a team that I'm actually going to avoid in the first round against Utah State. Um, I think for them, like we've discussed with with several other teams, we like them to move on in the tournament later on, but I don't necessarily trust them to get by this first-round matchup. Once they're by that first-round matchup, I could kind of see how the field lays out and whether I want to go back to them um, later on. But I, I, as a first-round game, I'm trying to avoid them. Um, yeah, my recommendation in the South for the team to avoid in the first round because I think that there's an excellent chance of an upset um, or not an, not an excellent chance of an upset necessarily, but if you're going for the sure thing in the first round, I don't think Arkansas is a sure thing. The way Colgate plays up and down, there's going to be so much scoring that that there is a possibility that Colgate starts hitting a lot of threes and Arkansas could lose that game. I think a lot of people are going to play Arkansas because they're looking at Ohio State later on, saying they're not they're not going to get by Ohio State or they're not going to get by Baylor, so I don't predict I don't think they're going to go particularly far. Maybe they won't even get by Texas Tech. Um, so a lot of people will be inclined to pick Arkansas. I think uh, be careful picking Arkansas. And, what do you think, Midwest? Yeah, So, and just one last thing with Arkansas, because I know I've, I've mentioned tempo quite a bit. You mentioned it with Colgate. Um, they want to play fast plays. They're going to put up a lot of threes. So that's a game with a lot of possessions, a lot of chances to stay in a game. So, yeah, I, yeah. I, I agree with you there. Uh, we look down at the Midwest. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm big on Illinois. I'll be trying to hold on to them for as long as possible. Um Tennessee, I am not high on at all. Um, I'm going to take a real long look at this matchup against Oregon State and just see if they match up because I don't think Tennessee gets by Oklahoma State. Um, so I, I'm eyeing up Texas to Tennessee rather to go over um, Oregon State. Um, yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I like Tennessee, uh, and I, I like Tennessee to win in the first round. And Oklahoma State, while I like them to beat Tennessee in the second round, I think is a worse bet in the first round because a team like Liberty could really surprise or Oklahoma state has freshmen that they depend on. 
And sometimes freshmen get a little bit antsy in games like this. And if Cunningham doesn't come out and have a great game, Liberty could score. Liberty could shoot. We could, you could see a Liberty win. And and if that's the case, then at least you've saved yourself by ha- you know having Tennessee using Tennessee early and not having to worry about uh, Oklahoma State. Uh, so I would save Oklahoma State. I'm in the same. A hundred percent, yes. And just the other team that we there's no reason to beat beat a dead horse because we've already spoken about this matchup. Um, it, it it eyes it up when you look strictly at the record, but I'm not. Um, I'm not overly interested in San Diego State because um, I, I don't, just don't trust any picking against Syracuse at this point in time. Yeah, I would. I don't. I haven't seen the line in that game, but I would bet it's it's somewhere darn close to. Uh, it's to it's even. very. I would imagine it's got to be um, right around a pick 100. percent All right, moving over to um, to the east. We'll go reverse order. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the bottom left, uh, we have the east region. Um, actually, this is one uh, that I'm, I th- it might surprise you. I, I said one of my strategies is always to play one safe. Um, I'll be picking Michigan in the first round. Um, I think a tough second-round uh, matchup against LSU and St. Bonnie's. If uh, Livers remains out for Michigan, I don't necessarily think that the, they'll go as far as they originally could have. Um, and I had mentioned also with their tempo, they play so slow um, that if they start missing shots – um, less possessions for a comeback. So that is one where I'll be playing them early and just kind of hoping that they get knocked out in the second round by the eight or nine. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, that's fair and reasonable. Um, I, that's kind of how I feel about, um, about Colorado. I, I, I know that team people really like Georgetown making this run, but I feel secure in picking Colorado. Uh, and it is similar to the last region. I actually feel more secure in a Colorado beating Georgetown than I do in Florida State um, easily beating North Carolina Greensboro. Obviously, I still think Florida State's a better team. I think Florida State's a better team than Colorado. But Florida State is the type of team that can go to the Elite Eight but can also lose in the first round. So, you know, uh, there's going to be a 4-13 game that we didn't pick that will be an upset. There might even be a 3-14 or a 2 the history would tell us that there definitely will be. Um, so just keep that in mind. I, I think uh, I think it's it's worthy of consideration. What do you think about the West? Yeah, just uh, just to kind of go exactly what you just said with that pod. Um, I like Colorado in that first round matchup as well against Georgetown, and I just don't like them to get by Florida State. So I'd most likely be eyeing up Colorado in one of my um, one of my ones as well on the first to take them on the first day and to not make it into uh, the sweet 16 after that uh, moving up to the mm-hmm. West. So this is the Gonzaga region. Um, h- hate to beat on, on a dead horse. Um, but there's a spe- save Gonzaga. There's a specific pod that I don't like here. Um, Virginia, they, uh, you know, we had, I had mentioned on the West preview, I was unsure of, are these guys practicing? Are they only going for individual shoot arounds? Are they, are they not practicing as a team? Um, Ohio um, with Preston as a, as a lead guard plays a lot of minutes. Ohio also has depth there with, um, I think there are four or five scorers who both all score in double digits. I think Ohio could give Virginia trouble. So I'm avoiding Virginia uh, and I'm, and I'm, I'm tempted to play Creighton over Santa Barbara. Um, okay, good. Cause I'm avoiding Creighton like the play. Um, but I, I think I'm going to avoid the temptation on it as well. Um, there's just something about this Creighton team that I don't like. 
Um, so I think I'm just going to, against my better judgment, uh, I'm just going to kind of stay away from that game altogether. Um, a team that I do like in this tournament that I'm not going to play is USC. Um, I don't like the matchup of either against Wichita State and Drake. There's also a history of teams playing in the play-in game, getting a win in the round of 64. Yep. All right. I'm right there with you. Uh, the way this thing shapes out, if you really do, uh, if you are confident in Gonzaga, um, a nice way to, to, to plan your picks out from a, a suicide perspective is use Iowa and Kansas early. If you, you know, you're not going to use, even if you save Gonzaga till the finals, you're saving them. So you're basically picking them in the elite eight game. So you have Iowa and you have Kansas. Both are worthy of using in the second round, first round, Sweet 16 if you want to, because you can alternate back and forth by the time we get to a little bit later date. But I would say use one of those on alternating days. That's you, Whoever you think is going to beat the other one, that's use them second. 100% that is the strategy that I use. What you need to do is the key is always to just make it out of the first round weekend you got to make it into the sweet 16 and then at that point what you do is you recognize which teams are not going to advance and you play them right before they lose which is much easier to do in a sweet 16 where you say huh i like iowa in this matchup against kansas i don't like them to lose in the elite i'd like them to lose in the elite eight against gonzaga so you play them one game before they uh before you expect them to go out if the team loses they lose you know but if you the key is to always hold on to the team that you like further, but you take the team one game before you expect them to get eliminated, which becomes much easier in the second weekend. You, the key always is to get past the first weekend. The year I did it, um, I actually had the contrarian play. I had Oregon. We had mentioned them, um, whatever region they're in this year, but I used them against everybody else Um I, there was a number I think they knocked off a number one in the sweet 16 because I think Oregon was a four seed um, but I played them against the number one which was a contrarian play but I just thought Oregon was the better team um, or maybe it was a three two or whatever it was but they were the they were the higher seeded team and I played them against the field um, and I was able to move on but it was just yeah whoever it was whether it was the one or two that was expected to be playing them I played them one round earlier Oregon went uh went ahead of them in the Sweet 16 or Elite 8, whatever it was, uh, before they made the Final Four, and I just had it It played out perfectly. Sometimes it doesn't work your way, but if you just like a team enough, um, yeah, you just you hold that team and you play the other teams a game before you expect them to go out. All right. Well, I think that'll about do it for us. Um, potentially, maybe back after the round of 64 for like a quick – 15-minute recap, 15-minute preview of the round of 32, possibility on, on Sunday. Um, if not, we'll do a full um, review on um, on Monday or night or Tuesday and uh, preview Wednesday for the games on Thursday because there's not uh, any extra bye days. Yeah, obviously. You only have two days in between. Yeah, obviously. Uh, stick with us. Um, we'll probably have a recap episode and then a preview episode. Alrighty, thank. Uh, good luck, and uh, let's fingers crossed. There's not a COVID outbreak, and uh, it's wonderful to be back at March Madness. Same. Uh, this has been Bob, oh, Bill, and Bob's bracket busting breakdown. This is the 2021 tournament, folks. Two years, two years coming. All right, take it easy, man.